preach. And so that journey, uh, in, the, in the process, we went back to the beginning. Now, I had, an, uh, I had a destination in mind, and as naive as I am, I actually thought I might get there in the first week. And because uh, I thought they'll, they can last a couple hour sermon. I'm sure they've got some endurance amongst them as the church family. Sure, I'll get there in the first week. Well, that was again July 30th. And, uh, and I have it. But today is the day. This was the apex. This is what I had in mind when I started this journey because it was started out as the word of faith, but it became the journey of faith. And I really think there's a little bit of both in, in play here. Um, the word of faith is our response to the gospel. It's, re- it's our response to the word that's spoken to us. And then certainly our journey of faith um, is really, we're all on a journey of faith at some level. The different seasons, all of ours does not look the same. It's not carbon copy. It cannot be carbon copied. Principles remain the same. But God is faithful. And I do believe by following the children of Israel as we have done, that we can uh, identify with their plight we can identify with the grace of God. We can identify with their ups and the downs. Remember the Bible talks about the ups and downs. David said that, uh, God, before I even laid down, thou knowest. And so God knows our ups and downs. And so uh, we've been able to identify. And my hope for you is when we're following the journey of the children of Israel, I hope that it's more and goes beyond just my sermon. Now, I do my very best to be as articulate as I can and to be as descriptive as I can especially when we are following the actual physical narrative. I hope and pray. I use this phrase often. It's the theater of your mind. I think and hope and pray that while I'm preaching, if I was preaching about the parting of the Red Sea, I would hope and pray that you could feel the wind parting your hair as that east wind came and began to blow the waters back. And you could smell the salt in the air as God was moving and preparing a way for the children of Israel to leave Egypt and to enter into the wilderness. So that's always my hope. I don't know if that's always obtained, but that's my hope. And that's going to be the case for today. So we're going to stand and we're going to read one verse of Scripture. Then we're going to be seated and read a lot of verses of Scripture. So Hebrews chapter number 11, or excuse me, chapter number 4, verse number 11, is looking back on where we're about to go to in the book of Numbers. So the book of Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 11. And we're going to just let the Lord have its way. I've been a little bit subdued with this lesson. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. It, it kind of it caught my spirit in a different way than I thought it would. Verse number 11 of the fourth chapter says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And so I sent it on the phone tree. I don't think I... I said it exactly the way I intended to when I told you a title for the message. The title of the message today is simply Stumbling in Unbelief. The potential lies in front of all of us. And we have many warnings and lessons along the way to help us to take heed lest lest we fall in unbelief. And I want to be guarded. I want to be guarded in every area of my life because if there's one thing I want to be found before God, I want to be found faithful. Faithful. So let's pray today, let's, and, and let's invite the Lord to help us today, and to help us to shut out everything. We are such a distracted generation, and I'm going to ask the Lord to help us to shut those things out. Will you pray with me that preaching will come easy in this house today? That Come on, somebody, that preaching will come easy from my end to yours, and that your heart will be prepared to receive the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, I love you today, and I feel so grateful 
Gosh, Father, this church family sometimes catches me off guard. Their, their zeal for you, their love for you, their, compa- their compassion and care for one another, God, is evident in this room. Father, I can hear it in their voices. I can see it in the expressions of their face. And I just pray today, Father, that, that God, your grace would be readily recognizable among us, the supernatural grace of God, the manifestation of the grace of God. I pray, Lord, today that it would be evident in the preaching of the Word of God that today our hearts would be open to the Word. And when we read the additional text in a few moments, I pray, Lord, that God, then you will add the gift of exhortation, the gift of teaching, a a pastoral heart, a prophetic unction, whatever it takes for the Word of God to be ministered. That's my desire today, Lord. And that the hearts of the people would readily receive it, God, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. amen. And you can be seated. Thank you so much. Let's journey. Take your Bibles. They're going to have these, I think, on the screen. There might be a couple of passages. This is very lengthy. We're going to take just a little bit of time. We're not going to apologize for it. We're going to read. We're just simply going to read it. And then you're, I'm going to share with you a few thoughts that I think uh, will help us here. So the children of Israel brought out of Egyptian bondage. The power of God and judgment that was upon the Egyptians, that same power then, part of the Red Sea, brought the children of Israel over on dry ground. God was faithful. The people were thirsty. He brought water out of a rock. The people were hungry. He brought manna from heaven. Right? He was just faithful to the people. And he's brought them to the precipice of the promised land. And yet here we have a very unique moment that occurs, and we're going to just read it, and then I'm going to, I'm going to fold something. Let's just read. We're not going to read the entirety of this chapter. It's a very long chapter, but we're going to pick and choose a few verses, but we're going to stay in context. By picking and choosing a few verses, we're not taking anything out of its context. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them, And Moses, pay attention to this, this third verse. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. Paul's right there. And I did not give them this verse of Scripture. But they're usually pretty good. We're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. So, if you know anything about this record, we're going to see it in a minute. The children of Israel stumble and they are sentenced to journeying in the wilderness for 40 years. That's getting ahead of myself. The book of Deuteronomy here is Moses' final exhortation to the children of Israel just before they actually take entrance into the promised land. And sometimes the book of Deuteronomy fills in the gap of some of the record that we see in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers because Moses recounts things. And in recounting or recollecting things, he adds additional information. So let's pick this up here in the 19th verse of the first chapter of the book of Deuteronomy for just a few verses, considering where we were. And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And you know I may not get those words right, and you got to give me grace. And I said unto you, ye are come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give us. Behold the Lord, notice this, behold the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, 
So you can see this journey's brought them to the edge of the promised land here with the, the Amorites. And as the Lord thy God of thy fathers has said unto thee, fear not, neither be discouraged. And we see Moses telling the people, we've made it through the wilderness, we've left Horeb, we've gone through this difficult time. Not the wilderness journey as we immediately think, that's the 38 years of wandering. But, it, but the time that it would take to get from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. And he said, now we're at the edge right here of the promised land. He said, so look at this word. Speak, remember the sermon series, it's called a word of faith. Here's the word of faith to the children of Israel. Go up and possess it. Come on, somebody. He said, Moses just said, go up and possess it. As the Lord thy God, the fathers have said, and they fear not, neither be discouraged. But look what happens. Now, remember what we read in Numbers. And you came near unto me, every one of you. And you said, well, let's send men before us, that they will search out the land and bring us word again. By way, we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and they went up to the mountain. So now go back to the book of Numbers chapter 13. Because when you read in chapter 13, it said, The Lord spoke to Moses, send thou men. So what it seems took place is, Moses has spoken the prophetic word, go up and begin to possess the land. But the people are still wavering at this moment. They're hesitant. And they come to Moses and say, Moses, before we go into the land, why don't we send this coalition, this coalition of men to go and spy it out? And Moses said, well, that sounds pretty good to me. And so it seems as if the Lord consented unto them and spoke the word to Moses and said, go ahead. Because sometimes God will give you what you ask for. You got to be very careful with that. So, so I'm not going to dialogue that, but I wanted you to see that that creates a little bit of distinction. Now let's jump ahead back in Numbers 13 to verse number 17. Let's read this very quickly. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get up this way southward, go up into the mountain. See the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether it be strong or weak, few or many. And when the land, and whether the land is, is that it's to dwell in, whether it's good or bad, what cities, whether they dwell in, whether they be tents or strongholds, what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether that be wood therein or not. And be you of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob uh, as men come to Hazmath. That's how, or Hamath, excuse me, not Hazmath. Uh, Hamath. Um, nonetheless, let's pause right there. Let's jump ahead to now the 25th verse. We're jumping down. And so here, so they send out this coalition of 12 men, leaders. You know that. I'm going to talk about it in a moment. We're just reading it. And because when I begin to talk about it, I want you to know that what I'm sharing is actually from the Scriptures. And they returned from searching of the land for 40 days. And they went and they came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh. And they brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation. And they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and they told him and they said. So this is the, re this is the report of the spies after 40 days. We, we came into the land whither thou sentest us. And surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and, ev and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and, and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And you can already begin to see that this, this report of the spies begins to reverberate amongst the masses of the children of Israel approximately 
2.5 million people at this particular time, 600,000 men plus women and children. And so you can see that that type of report begins to reverberate. And, but Caleb steals the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, Caleb is one of the 12 spies. But when the men that went up, the other 10, because we know that Caleb and Joshua, which we'll read here in just a moment, held to a different uh, viewpoint, but the men that went up with them said, we be not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel. The land through which we have gone to search it, it's a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And look, look at this last verse here, this last portion of this 13th chapter. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And I actually like to read it this way. We were in the sight of the giants as grasshoppers to them. But I'll tell you, the tragedy is we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a dangerous place to be. So now we're going to turn to this 14th chapter. We're going to read 10 verses. That's going to wrap up the culmination. Then I don't think I have any additional verses that I'm going to be reading. I may quote a couple of verses along the way. So now, based upon this report, when the congregation heard this report and the evening begins to come, they lifted up their voice and they cried, literally weeping. The people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron and the entire congregation said unto them, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Would to God that we had died in this wilderness. Catch hold, read this slowly, read it carefully. I'm going to be alluding to it here in a moment. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And verse 4 says that they called a specially called business meeting with the intent of electing a new pastor. They were ready to move on from Pastor Moses who had brought him, them out of, the children, or out, out of Egypt. And so we're going to elect us a new pastor, a new captain, and we're going to return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Come on, somebody. Amen. Fear them not, Joshua and Caleb, uh, in unity, tag team preaching to the people. But verse number 10, and this is the leavening power of unbelief. I believe uh, unbelief originates in your heart, but I'm telling you it can pass through your words. I'm getting ahead of myself. And then it can be like leaven in the congregation. For all the congregation then bade stone them with stones. They shut up their ears to the word of faith. Joshua and Caleb are speaking the word of faith. They're speaking boldly what God has already and previously said. 
But the congregation is saying, let's stone them with stones because we don't want to hear it. We want to elect a new captain. We want to go back to Egypt. We'd rather die in Egypt than to die taking this promised land or attempting to take the promised land. And look what happened. The glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. God intervenes. And he saves the life of Moses and of Aaron and of Joshua and Caleb from the riot of the people. Now, verses 11 through 45 tell the rest of the story. I'm going to just elaborate it quickly because I'm going to come back to where I want you to be. The Lord determines to destroy the entire nation. He speaks that right here. He said, I'm going to destroy them all. I, I personally believe it's a test for Moses in his heart and his compassion. Moses falls before the Lord and intercedes on behalf of the people. And God relents. But God relents to not deter judgment. He's not going to destroy all the people. But the judgment of God is this. He said, any man that saw the signs and wonders that I performed on Egypt, that's 20 years of, old, of age and upward, he said, that person's not going to be able to, to, to go into the land. If all the younger are going to be able to go into the land. But if you're 20 years old and upward, you're not going to be able to allow to go into the land. You're going to wander for the next 40 years until, King James, King James English, your carcasses fall in the wilderness. Now remember what it said in the book of Hebrews there. It spoke about lest we fall in unbelief. So it's the same kind. He's speaking of the same narrative here. So, and then to finish this story off, because the 15th chapter turns the page, because Moses directs the people to leave. So the day following, though, and I'm going to be alluding and elaborating on this in a moment. The day following, the people attempt to go ahead and go in. They get up the next morning. They've, got, they've heard Moses' judgment that he's announced. And then they get up the next morning. And they say, all right, you know, all right, we, we feel bad. My bad. And uh, let's go ahead, everybody. Let's go take the promised land. But Moses said, it's too late. Sometimes there's some too late moments with God, at least for a season. And so with that, Moses tells them, don't go up because God's not going with you. Let me tell you, you can't go up unless God is with you. Well, we can do nothing of ourselves. It's only of him, by his grace, by his strength. And so the children of Israel go up and attempt to take, you know, the mountain that they were camped at the base of. And God was not uh, amongst them. And, and the enemy smote them and scattered those that went into conflict, and that's how the chapter closes. It's a, it's a very painful part of the journey of the children of Israel. Uh, so what was the journey of faith became the wilderness wandering. And that's what happens when we don't heed the word of faith. It's, it's that we too can find ourselves trapped in moments like this in life. So I want to now go back without turning to the text. You remember in the book of Romans, chapter number 15, verse number 4, where it said the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning and our admonition, upon whom the ends of this world have come. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, Paul, looking back to this very same incident, said these things were written for our instruction. Right, And so this particular season, especially this moment here, has been captured, if you will, by the writers of Scripture as almost like a, a photograph, something that we can look at and we can say, God can still speak to us from this today. Because we're on our own journey, and the leavening power and the stumbling power of unbelief can trip up as, us as well if we don't very purposely look at this. 
This moment becomes the apex of the journey. Of all that's happened, this becomes the most distinguishing event or experience. The people stumble in unbelief. And I can tell you that as I read this, and I've read this countless times over the many years, my heart hurt. My heart hurt. Because I think about the people that had had such aspirations. Such They experienced the delivering power of God. God had come to them when they were trapped in Egyptian bondage. And through the prophetic word of Moses and the signs following, they were delivered from 430 years of sorrow and struggle only to fail to be brought into the fullness of what God had for them. And I'm telling you, as I began to study this out this week, my heart set sorrowful. So I want to just talk to you about for our learning just a few things before I make it very applicable to you. Just very quickly. say, so, Pastor, what does this speak of? First and foremost, let me just tell you, it speaks about redemption. And we can't overlook this because does it really speak? It absolutely does. The writer of Hebrews uses this passage to expose unbelief in the context of forgiveness of sin. And I'm going to come back to that in just a little while. The Israelites entered not in because of unbelief. They failed to believe God's word concerning their complete and total deliverance. God was bringing them out to bring them in. The writer of the book of Hebrews, that is the text that we chose, is reflecting back himself. And he exhorts us to enter into Christ's rest. He's exhorting the audience of the first century. Do not fall back to the ancient sacrificial system of the blood of bullocks and of sheep or of goats to provide atonement for your sins. He tells you to labor to enter into Christ's rest, that you and I are to trust in Christ, an active faith of salvation, not striving, rather believing, believing and trusting in God. Right? And so if you and I wallow in the self-pity of unbelief, that self-pity of not feeling spiritually uh, uh, adequate, and we continually feel spiritually inadequate to be saved, we are not resting in Christ. Let me tell you, your feelings will always will always lead you astray. We don't walk by our feelings. You may never feel like you were saved. It's not about your feelings. It's about trusting what God said. God said it, you believe it. God said that if you put your trust in Christ, then you are justified in His sight. That you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not because you attain to a certain level of righteousness, but because you are in Christ. Right, And you and I enter into that rest. That whole passage there about the failure of the children of Israel is written, number one, to teach us labor to enter into his rest. Actually, I'm saving that one for later, Lord. I'm coming back to that. I'm going to reiterate it because sometimes the church family needs me to preach it twice. (laughs) Second, though, this passage also teaches us about, so I'm going to save those to the end, all five of those quick points. It does teach us about the power of sight. Hmm? The people spied out the land to discover the topography, the climate, to see who dwelt there, to look at it, the cities, the tent. Were they cities? Were they tent cities or walled cities? Were they strongholds? Would they be able to take them easily? And the people, with the spies, when they came back, they concluded that, that, they concluded that it was everything that they had often thought, but it was more. And it brought me to this, my attention real quickly. People can see the same thing and see it entirely different. (laughs) 
And so sight cannot necessarily be trusted. The spies revealed the land was large and flowing, but it was also walled and it was fortified and there were giants in the land. And they, they began to say, this is what we saw. We saw men of great stature. And as I noted earlier, we saw the giants. We were as grasshoppers to them. And tragically, we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. And so when you see only, listen to this, when you see only with the natural eye, you are not truly seeing. Right? I'm telling you, when you, not, when you see only with the natural eye, you are not seeing God, and you're not seeing and not hearing the Word of God, because the natural eye will lead you astray. We must see by the eye of faith. And I'm going to come back to that in just a little while. But that's a part of this. Many of us don't see things correctly. Therefore, we're always sowing the seed of unbelief. People who are at rest with God, rest with their salvation, are people who can believe God for His great blessing upon their life. When I use the term great blessing, I'm going to explain to you what I mean for that here in just a little while. And that is for you and I, if we truly rest in His redemption, then we know that if God spoke direction or blessing, He's going to bring it to pass. He's going to bring it to pass because God cannot lie if He spoke it, and we must rest in it. So in Numbers we see this in this word of God that Moses had spoken the word to the people on the base of the, of the mountain. Let's go up. We've come through this Red Sea. We've come from the journey of the wilderness from Mount Sinai unto Kadesh Barnea. We're here at the base of the mountain. Now's the time. I can see Moses and Aaron. They're preaching. they got their unction on them. We're, let's get ready. Let's go possess the land. But then the people wanted to see, and it's a dangerous place. Are you out there today? The response of the people was a night of weeping and sorrow and unbelief, grief and mourning against God, Moses, and Aaron. We read that. The people made initial plans to replace Moses. It's a precarious position to be a pastor, it seems. But one thing I want to draw your attention to this real quickly because I'm going to fold all this back together with five brief bullet points in a moment. God not only sees, God sees and God hears. Numbers 13 and 27, I have heard their murmuring. Deuteronomy 1, 34, the Lord heard the voice of your words. Numbers 13 and 28, as you have spoken, so will I do. That's what he said. Numbers 13 and 28, as you have spoken. Well, so what did they say? God heard what they said. They said, we're going to die. Well, they were in panic mode. We're going to die. They were, like the, they were like the disciples in the boat. And, and it's, this, it's almost the same analogy, if you will, because it's, the, it's unbelief. It seems spiritual. The disciples said, let's wake up Jesus. We're going to sink. But it was an act of unbelief because Jesus said, let's get in the boat. We're going to the other side. And if he said we're going to the other side, it's up to us to rest in what he said. And our frantic motion is nothing more than unbelief. And the children of Israel, and they're weeping. It was nothing more than unbelief. And so, Pastor Brown, what, what should I do when I'm in the face of unbelief? I'm facing a very difficult situation, and maybe I don't have the word of faith inside my heart as of yet. I tell you, one of the things you need to learn sometimes, you just need to be quiet and don't say anything at all. Because you've got to be very careful. I'm going to talk to you about your words here for just a moment of time. But don't say anything because, you know, Zechariah stumbled in unbelief when he was in the holy place. When the angel of the Lord told him that your wife is now aged but doesn't matter to God. God's going to bring her womb to life, and she's going to have a son. Well, he began to dialogue with the angel, and he stumbled in unbelief. So be very, very careful. Be very careful because you too can stumble in unbelief when the, at the word of God. I want to get to a few things here in just a moment, so stay with me. I lay in the foundation. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
When the word of God is spoken in faith, it creates faith in your heart and life. I believe that. Faith will rise out of your heart. You know, there's this process. I disagree with it. I'm going to just be honest. I believe in the professing of the word of God. I'll talk to you a little bit about that, kind of my heart towards that here in just a little while. I know you keep hearing me say that. More of a teaching moment here today. But if you stay with me, this message is all going to come together and be applicable to you. But I do not believe that you can just continually recite the word over and over and over again in essence for faith to arise because I don't think, that's, I don't think you're speaking it in faith. You're just speaking it in hope. Here's what the word says. Psalm 116 and 10 says, I believed, therefore I speak. So I hear it, I believe it, it's in my heart, and then I speak it. Come on, somebody, amen? Because I'm telling you, you think you can fool other people because you're saying it, but you can't fool God. Did you know the psalmist was looking back to this moment? And here's what he said about the children of Israel. They flattered God with their mouth. They lied with their tongues. Their heart was not right. They weren't steadfast in covenant before God. And so one of the great tragedies in the Bible is this, this people that were supernaturally called and delivered from Egypt, a people who saw some of the greatest divine judgments and exploits, who crossed the Red Sea, who ate manna, who drank water out of the rock and witnessed the glory of God at Mount Sinai, who had heard the voice of Almighty God, got on the precipice of entering into the promised land, and they stumbled in unbelief. It's a warning to all of us in a lot of areas of our lives. It's a warning for us to consider because we too can stumble in unbelief. There isn't any other way to spin this other than this is a biblical tragedy. The unbelief of failing to enter into its rest, a people of covenant. You're a people of covenant if you continue in the faith. And lastly, before I just make this per personal to you, they presumed to go up, but God wasn't with them any longer. He was with them, but not in that action or that moment. So I've pondered all this the same way you are now. I've had a lot more time to think about it than you have. And I began to surmise just a few things that I wanted to drop in your heart and say, okay, if all these things were written for our learning and for you and I here today, what would God say to us? What can God, can God, can the Lord look at, the, can the Lord speak to this passage of the word of God to you and I today? Can he? Is there a word of faith in context for you and I? I think there is. Is there a word of warning? I think there is. Is there also a word of encouragement? I think there's that as well. Do you believe that today? So very, very quickly today, so Pastor Brown, I'm going to drop five things out of this text of Scripture that I've given you just a, just a summary of, just a summary, things that I believe are pertinent for us here today that we need to hold on to very, very carefully and quickly today. Number one, I believe this text, I'm going to go back to where I started, it speaks of salvation even though we often overlook it. Right there, that's our point number one right there. We labor into his rest. I want to just talk about that for a moment. The writer of the book of Hebrews, when he's addressing a people in the first century that had come to faith in Christ, but they had come out of Judaism because of the unbelief of false teachers, was leaning back to trusting in the sacrificial system of the Mosaic law for their salvation. So the writer of Hebrews is using this passage of Scripture to tell them, don't stumble in unbelief. 
So I, I just want to use that very quickly because you cannot overlook that that was the heart of God. Many times our supposed piety and humility is actually unbelief. I know you don't want to hear it, but I'm going to preach it anyhow. Our continual repentance over the same sin. Now, I'm not talking about if you've sinned, if you've sinned, then you what you do, you repent. But somehow or another, we continue to repent over and over again about the sin that we repented of. And we think we're showing religious piety before God when actually we're showing unbelief before God. Because the Bible says, here's the word of faith, if we have sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And you may think you're being spiritual when you dig it back up and wallow in it again to satisfy your self-pity because you don't feel righteous. You are simply walking in unbelief. But when you trust what God said, not how you feel, not the what others even might say about you, if God said you're forgiven, then it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You're forgiven before God. But it behooves you and I to labor, to lay hold on those promises. To labor to enter into that rest. Believing or resting in Christ is God's revealed purpose for you. That is your word of faith today. I don't know about you today, and I'm not going to go too far down this road today, but I'm just going to just make this profession as a word of faith today. I thank God in Christ that I am sanctified by his blood. I am thankful today that I am born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am thankful today that through Christ, not through any effort of my part, but only because of him, because of him, you are declared as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I've said this a thousand times to this church family. I'll say it one more time. When the writer uses the term, you are justified by faith in Christ, that is a judicial term, and it means it's just as if you have never sinned. That God declared you justified in his sight. How could God do that? Because he laid upon him the sin and the iniquity of us all. God conferred us all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon us all, right? If we simply believe in Christ, we enter into his rest. And that's something, church family, world, religion, your own consciousness, your own fleshly nature, your weakness of your flesh, your feelings will try to, will try to trap you in this cycle of constantly wallowing in a supposed piety before God. And you will never have any confidence. We're to enter in boldly into it, confidently into his presence because of the blood of Jesus. God wants you to enter. Remember this, I've been telling you, the whole process of this journey, it wasn't just to bring them out, it was to bring them in. Right, So you were brought out that you might be brought in. You were brought out of sin that you might be brought into righteousness. Come on, somebody. You were brought out of darkness and wickedness, and you didn't know God, but now you've been brought in. He's illuminated your eyes, and now you have fellowship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Right, You can commune with the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. So labor to enter into His rest. Don't stumble in unbelief. Don't spend the rest of your days wandering and wallowing in self-pity when you can enter in. 
I love what Moses said. It's a powerful word. Moses said, we're here, brothers and sisters. We're here. This is what we believe for. This is what we dreamed about when we were in Egypt. The mountain is in front of us. The enemies are in front of us. But it doesn't matter. If God be for us, then who can be against us? And I'm telling you, God can bring you into that rest if you'll trust him for it. Because, number two, there is a place of blessing for you. Now, when I use that phrase, though, a lot of triggers go off in your mind. Because in our generation, we have linked blessing to material blessing. And I want to take you far beyond just material blessing. I believe in covenant promises. Do you believe that today? I do. You may not believe this. I was grafted into the olive tree, and I draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is perhaps my, fam- my, my, my most favorite passage of Scripture. When you who are afar off are now brought near by the blood of Jesus. I was a stranger and a foreigner to the covenant promises of God. But now through Christ Jesus, I've been brought into the family of God, fully vested with all the benefits from being a child of the Most High God. And I want to live my life every day knowing that I call him Father because he calls me Son. Come on, somebody. And so, listen, God has a perfect will for you. He's given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He brought you out that he might bring you in. So the place that I'm most likely talking about is not an actual physical place as it was for Israel. Rather, it's a state. It's a state of mind. It's a state of being. It's a state of contentment. See, when you know, when you know, then you don't base whether you're blessed upon material blessing. When you know it doesn't, I don't have to have money in the bank account for God to bless me. Right? I'm telling you, you just got to think about that. We have allowed status. We have allowed this world to dictate for us of what blessing should be. We've allowed, I believe, the eroded and sometimes in error teaching of first, uh, of Third John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Till we've tied prosperity to entirely just how much money you got in the bank or the house that you live in and the car that you drive. Listen, I want you to know that you can live in a cave and be blessed of God. Amen. Abraham was the man of all men. He was blessed among the men of God in his generation. And he lived in a tent all the days of his life. I want you to know there is a place of blessing. That place of blessing is that rest, that contentment, that grace that God's given me. God being for me, then it matters not who's against me. It's the place of blessing for me. And it's not tied. Now listen, I'm not in any wise preaching against material blessing in any such capacity. Don't think for a moment. I thank God for His grace and His resources. I don't own anything, as I've already said, only my next breath, and God can take that the next moment. But I want you to know you've got to be able to distinguish this place of unique blessing. It's God's will to bring you to this place. That's the promised land for you. At least while we're here. Some people have said, well, promised land is heaven. Well, I don't necessarily know about that because I don't know. There was Canaanites and Amorites and Hittites and Cellulites. All that was in the promised land. And I don't necessarily know we're going to be dealing with that in heaven. (laughs) I don't care where you're from. That's funny right there. So let me backtrack for just a moment. Let me, let me, let me, I got to settle this because I, I don't want to make jest of it. I know because any time that you start a series entitled The Word of Faith, 
immediately triggers go off in people's mind because we have an entire movement called the Word of Faith. Many people come through the Word of Faith, and many people are there. I try not to be that critical person. I am not fully vested there and do not think that I will ever be there, but it doesn't take away from my belief in the Word of Faith. Because I'll go back to my statement, the Word of Faith did not commence in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Word of Faith originated in the heart and the mind of God. God spoke in the Genesis, and I believe the Word of Faith. And so, you and I, number three, you have to, if you don't get anything, catch this, you've got to see by the eye of faith. If you're going to be who God's called you to be, you've got to see by the eye of faith. The ten spies saw, all they saw was the wonder and the beauty of the land, but they saw it through the natural eye. They measured their stature and their ability against the inhabitants, and they were therefore fearful and intimidated. They said it, I've already mentioned it twice, but it behooves me to say it again. We were as grasshoppers in their eyes, and we were as grasshoppers in our eyes. But two men saw things entirely different. They saw it through the lens of faith. Come on, somebody. Two men said, no, wait just a minute. The land, yes, it's a great land. The cities are walled, and the men are giants. But let me tell you something. The men are tall of stature, but they're not bigger than our God. Come on, somebody. And you got to go through life seeing situations in life this way, that if God delights in you, he's going to make a way. I believe that with all my heart. God will make a way. Right, if I just yield myself to him somehow, some way, in the midst of overwhelming situations, it's not going to overwhelm God. Right, and I want to say it again, if God is for you, then who can be against you? Right, when you see by the eye of faith, overwhelming situations will not intimidate you. Right, one of the great stories of faith by the people of God is that men and women have gone through overwhelming trials and situations and attacks of the enemy, but by faith in God, God brought them through. Did you know the scripture says, by my God, I can run through a troop, and by my God, I can leap up over a wall. Think about what that's meaning. David, writing from a military standpoint, is saying this, I'm surrounded by overwhelming odds. Many are trooped and encamped against me, but by my God, I can supernaturally leap up over them and bypass them because God is with me. Right? You just got to live your life that way, that no matter what happens, I'm going to see the situation in front of me, not by my natural eye, but by the eye of faith. I'm going to see it as Joshua and Caleb saw it. Did you know Joshua and Caleb, the Bible says they had a different spirit. What about you? Do you have a different spirit? I hope so. They saw by the eye of faith. Number four today, perhaps the most important, you better learn to control what you say. If I can commend the Word of Faith movement, and I can commend them, this is a principle that has been driven home in the listening audiences of their congregation and is often not talked about in the more historical Pentecostal churches like ours, but it is talked about in our fellowship. God heard their words. Their complaint was nothing more than unbelief. If you're going to be a man or woman of faith, you have to control what you say. Now, listen, I'm, that, that's way better than the response I'm getting from you right now. I'm just going to say it again. Did you know James warns us, the, 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 the apostle James warns us of the power of the tongue? And here's what he said. Out of the same fountain should not come bitter water and sweet water. Out of the same mouth should not come blessing and cursing. Listen, so listen real quickly. Here's what I want to challenge you as your pastor. 
Read the scriptures slower. Pay close attention to God's reproof for words of unbelief. And pay close attention of how he affirms when men and women speak the word of faith. They heard it, they believed it, and they spoke it. Re- Let me say it one more time. Y'all are just catching. I'm either teaching uh, in such a way that you're pondering what I'm saying, or I've, I've already left you behind and, and you're distracted. Read the scripture slower. Because if you'll read the scripture slower and pay close attention, God will reprove you for your words of unbelief. He will speak directly to you. And he will affirm you for your words of life. You've heard it said many times, and we'll say it one more time, the power of life and death. Can I say it again? The power of life and death is in the tongue. If you have truly heard the word of faith as you believe, therefore you speak. You can't be at the altar praying, oh God, I need this and I need that. And I'm praying for my family to go back out in everyday life and then curse and undo everything that you prayed for. But that's the cycle that many of us find ourselves because we are unwilling to discipline what we say. There is a part of the natural person that finds vindication in expressing unbelief. Your natural man, your carnal man that's got to die before God somehow feels vindicated when you express the sorrow of your own heart and of the plight of your situation. But faith calleth things that be not as though they were. Faith says, I've got a word from God that differs from what the the present situation looks like. And therefore, I'm going to believe God. That God can change the thing from what it is today to what he has already spoken it's going to be. And that's why he is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and he's the ending. And if he spoke it and you believe it and it's in your heart, then you trust in the Lord and you don't curse what God's already said. Let me tell you what the children of Israel were doing. I said it earlier, but when they went back to their tent and they knelt and they wept and they cried and they said, Oh God, I wish Moses had never came to us. I wish that we were back in Egypt. I wish that we had either died in Egypt or died earlier in this journey than to come to this place right now. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Word to God. We call it religious piety and humility and it is nothing more than the crippling power of unbelief because God heard what they said and God sees and hears in us you got to learn to control what you say you got to say God if you said it I'm going to believe it if I believe it I'm going to speak it and I'm going to hold fast to my profession of faith listen to this without wavering because God is faithful to promise Now, I've got one more, and I'm closing today. But I'm going to camp right here like Israel for just a moment. I want the glory cloud for just a second to drop on that. What would happen to our families? Let's make it personal. What would happen in our tent if, first of all, husband and wife just said, we're going to guard what we say to each other? What would happen if we then said, we're going to guard well, in our tent. We're children of Israel. We're on the base of the mountain of the Amorites. We already heard Moses. Moses said, we're going to go up and take the land. And in our tent, instead of allowing the report of the spies to agitate us until we begin to curse what God's already said, 
How about we just start unifying one with the other? Husband and wife with children, and we just begin to believe God. So in that moment of time, the children of Israel heard two reports. They heard the report of the ten spies, but they also heard the report of Joshua and Caleb. And every one of us, you find yourself in that moment, day after day, season after season, when you hear conflicting reports. One says this, the other says that. That's why the writer Isaiah said, whose report are you going to believe? What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what God said? How do we know that you're believing what God said? Because we can see what you're saying. We can hear what you're saying. Because if you are cursing what God's blessed, you're stumbling in unbelief. You hear me say this. It's a part of who I am as a pastor. Obviously, there's just five, and I'm about to wrap this up, but I'm going to come back to it one more time. I'm speaking to every one of you here today. The driving passion of my heart for the last 36 years has been being a father. And I have been the father of six beautiful children that are grown and gone for the most part. One came back. But she's on a mission. And I tell you what, I want you all to hear this from my heart today. Do not curse your children by speaking negatively over them in the name of Jesus. You have fallen prey to the weakness of the flesh when you do. I know children can push every button. I know you can get frustrated. That's why you better get alone with God and wrestle that out beside the brook until you can emerge from that moment. You can still discipline in faith. You can still direct in faith without speaking cursing words over your children. You speak life over them. You dictate for them. You say that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They will walk in the covenant blessings of God. They will be born again, born from above. They'll have the life of the Spirit in them. One day they're going to be deacons. One day they're going to be Sunday school teachers. One day they're going to be pastors. One day they're going to be in the military. One day they're going to be politicians. Come on, somebody. You begin to speak the word of faith, and you do not allow any season or situation. You say, well, you don't know what my children... I don't have have to know what your children are going through. I want you to change their future by the power of a prophetic word, and you got to control what you say. You can't be cursing in one sense and speaking blessing in the other. You've got to believe the Word of God. And when we have all failed, and I'm not saying this as I've never failed, there are moments in anger or frustration when I failed. You have got to quickly pluck up that word because I do not want it to come to pass in the life of my family. Now, I didn't mean to go there. It was not in the notes, but I just feel led of the Lord. It's part of my spirit to you today. Control what you say, church family. Matter of fact, I'm going I, I, to go to it anyhow. I'm going to go ahead. Go to Ephesians 4 real quickly. Let me give to, uh, uh, and then I'm going to number 5. I'll let you out of here. Go to the 31st verse, the 30th verse. Let's just, let's, no, let's go up to the 29th. Let's back all the way up. Of the fourth chapter of the book of, of, of Ephesians. Hear this today. Get angry at me if you, if you want to. Vote and elect a new pastor if you want to. Uh, that's all good. Uh, but with this, let me tell you. But hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Read that. It's on the screen in front of you. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. 
Get your tent. Come on, somebody. Get your tent where there's grace, where you're speaking grace. Listen to this. Because if you don't, what are you doing? You're grieving the Spirit of God. You're grieving, and that's why your prayers are limited. That's why you're not walking in the anointing, because you're giving place to the enemy. You're grieving the Spirit of God. Look at this. Let all bitterness, verse 31, and all wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you and be kind one to another. Come on, somebody. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgives you. Go back to that 29th verse for a moment again. Read it slowly with me. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace. You've got to go back to point number four, Lord, if you would, as I switch to number five in a moment. You've got to control what you say. The children of Israel stumbled in unbelief because they heard the negative report of the spies and they brought cursing upon their future. Don't let that happen to you. Number five today. <laughs> it's been kind of quiet in here, but that's all right. Y'all were shut up with the ice for a few days. You cannot act presumptuously. What does that mean? Let me clarify that for you. Remember that moment when they, after God spoke judgment to the people, they said, okay, we're going to go ahead and go anyhow. So the action of going up the hill against the Amalekites the next day was unbelief. Because now God said, you cannot go. And so listen very quickly. Listen, real quick. All action or movement is not faith. Can I say that? I want you to hear that. All, just because you're doing something doesn't mean that's faith. Right? Because you do based upon what he said. Right? And if you don't, you're acting presumptuously. So you and I must move or act upon the revealed will and word of God. There would come a reset for the nation as a whole. Tragically, the people that were 20 years of age and upward did not get to enter in. But the nation as a whole did. And I believe there can be a reset in people's life. If you don't act presumptuously and you wait before God, God can direct you. You don't have to live the rest of your life wandering in unbelief. You don't. You don't. If, even when you stumble, thank God, God is gracious and merciful and kind. Even when we stumble, if Daryl joined me on the platform, I'll close this message today. Many weeks ago, I started out on a journey. I called it the Word of Faith, July the 30th. We journeyed through the children of Israel. We followed them. Some preached better than others. Man, we camped there for a little while when, they, when, the, when the Passover lamb was slain and the blood was applied. Preaching about the blood was so good, I did it two weeks in a row. It was just so right. The word of faith to us was, was a lot of things. It was sanctification. It was conflict. It was um, controlling what you say. It's not the first time I preached. It was a lot of things on the children of Israel of what the word of faith became the journey of faith. But the intended purpose for me is this real quickly. It was to show you the power of genuine faith. And sometimes the way to see it is tragically see it through the eyes of unbelief. So for some of you here today, and I thought about you in prayer yesterday, if you got the phone tree, I'm not lying to you when I say I would not lie to you, I hope. I would try not to. I would not intend to. 
But sometimes you say things and only to be wrong, except for Sherry. She's always right. But I was praying for you here yesterday. I was praying for our church to receive this word because as I prepared my heart Friday and Saturday, it, it was awkward as I received it. So as a pastor, sometimes it just, it just flows. And, 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 and it, was, it was just, it, I was caught in the grief of the moment. I was caught because I just thought about the people that had such aspirations, had saw the wonders of God's glory, heard his voice on Mount Sinai, and yet stumbled in unbelief. And it just, it just, it, I just, I just couldn't get through. I couldn't just kind of put my heart and my mind around it. And I, I just was struggling to just, you know, preach it fluidly. And I've been, I've been awkward in preaching it. I don't mind telling you. It's been, it's been kind of choppy up here preaching just a little bit. And it's because I thought I would be able to preach it so positively, but I knew that I would preach it a little bit negatively because the tragedy of it, that the people stumbled. And it just smote me as a warning to us. Don't stumble in unbelief. Number one, let me go back to this. Don't stumble in unbelief by thinking that you can save yourself or that you're not good enough or any of those things. Any, any excuse that you give to try to prev that prevents you from coming to Christ is a stumbling block. Let me tell you, let me tell you today, come to Jesus. Come on, he's merciful today, right? He, he will in no wise turn you away if you'll come to the Lord today, amen? He will in no wise. But, but I've been pastoring for a long time now. Did you know I've been pastoring for 28 years this year, consecutively, without interruption, 28 consecutive years in full-time pastoral ministry and was very deeply involved for about seven years prior to that. So almost 35 consecutive years at some level in the pastoral ministry. And one of the great tragedies that I observe amongst the children of God is I observe men and women never enter into his rest and believe that their sins have truly been atoned for in Christ. And they're never at peace with God. Church family, let me tell you, enter into that rest. The way to enter into that rest is when you read and study and meditate on the Word and you read these epistles and you learn that if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Christ, you're His. He put that sin away. Don't dig it up any longer. right? Don't, don't, don't wallow in it. It's almost like we feel like we need to bring it up and wallow in it so we can somehow feel some type of self-pity for ourselves, and then we'll put it back away like a blanket or something again. No, no, don't go there. You don't have to bring it back up. God's put it away from you through Christ, right? He's put it away. You're his. Come on, somebody. That's what brings God glory. What brings God glory is when you believe what he said, glory to God. You keep over and over bringing it up and bringing it up. It's, it's unbelief. I also felt this in my heart as I was praying. I felt that some were at a critical point in their journey of faith. I felt that the spies have returned, and all reports that are going on around you are not the same. 
And you're hearing a lot of different things about a lot of different things in your life. You're hearing different reports about different things. My question for you is, will you believe? Will you believe? Will you believe today? Will you learn to mute what you say until what you say is what he said? That may be the best point that I made in the whole sermon, and nobody caught it. I think maybe one person. Will you learn to mute what you say until you can say what he said? (laughs) Because if you don't, the carnal man will speak through you negative words and sow the discord of unbelief and sow the leaven of unbelief amongst yourself and your family. So guard yourself. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I've done all I can do. I don't know what time it is. I know I've probably gone way too long. Father, help us today. I, I normally come, church family, to the, the pulpit with just such joy. Because I've, I've told you many years ago, I always want to preach with a smile. I try my best to preach. I, I try not to preach out of aggravation or frustration. I always hope to preach out of inspiration. But I have to admit to you today, I was very subdued as I prepared my sermon Friday and Saturday and prepared my heart. Just, just what happened to this group of men and women, it just kind of caught me off guard. I've read the story many times over the years, ponder, I've preached about it. But it, something was different this time. I just saw people stumble, and it grieved my heart. It just grieved my heart because it didn't have to happen. They could have believed God. They could have trusted the Lord. They could have rested in Him. If He brought them out, He would bring them in. If He brought you out, He'll bring you in. Do you hear that, church family? If He brought you out, He'll bring you in. He'll bring you into a place of relationship and fellowship, of contentment, of peace, and of grace, and of communion with the Father through Christ. He'll bring you in. Don't stumble in unbelief. Who here today would allow me to give an invitation for just a few moments? Perhaps there's been a single person among us today that you know about God, but you don't know God through Christ. You say, Pastor, I believe in God. But do you believe in God through Christ for the redemption of your sins? If you have never professed Christ as your Savior, Believing and trusting entirely upon him. You'd like me to pray with you. I'll pray with you today. If there's one among us today. If that's you, slip your hand up today. Is there anybody among us today? Number two today. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm going to be honest. I've been guilty. I've been guilty and kind of wallowing in the unbelief of self-pity of things that have taken place in the past 
sins that I committed that I repented of long ago, and somehow, for whatever reason, I dig them back up, and I wallow with them longer. And today, I want to move beyond. I want to move into that land of peace, move into that land of rest, to trust in the Lord. That God said, if any man sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Pastor Brown, would you pray for me right where I'm at here today, collectively as a people? Pastor, would you pray with me today about that issue of my life? I don't want to do that again. I'm, I, I know it's been unbelief. You've exposed to me today. It's unbelief. I thought I was being religious, but I'm not. I'm being faithful when I trust in what he said, not in what I did. Anybody here today? Raise your hand up today. I see hands going up all over the room. I'm going to pray with you today, corporately, collectively, as a people. Lastly, I want you to hear this one today. Make this serious before God, as serious as any moment that you've ever had with me as your pastor. Pastor Brown, I'm guilty of not controlling what I say. I, I, by what you preach today, what I've seen and what I'm going to learn in the days ahead, I constantly sow unbelief for what I say. Maybe, maybe it's not about your children. Maybe it's about other areas of your life. You just, for whatever reason, you see eye, your eyes, you're seeing by the natural eye, not by the eye of the spirit, by the eye of faith. Pastor Brown, I want to I acknowledge that today so that from this day forward, I'll ask God to help me control what I say. If that's you, slip your hand up today. Hands are going up all across this building. I want everybody to stand up with me today. Today, it's about five minutes before noon. I probably, this worship was not that long. I'm sure I'm the longest-winded preacher in all of Heber Springs. And that's a good amen right there. Ashley's speaking it by faith, and I'm in agreement with it in Jesus' name. I want to see your heads bowed and eyes closed one more time. Let's pray. Well, you don't have to. If you want to lift your eyes toward heaven, lift your eyes toward heaven. Pray to the Father with me right now. Pray to the Father. No one raised their hand to be born again. But half the congregation raised their hand in two areas. To be at rest and to control what they say. If you, didn't, if you can learn anything at all from this passage, then you've learned a lot. It will help you in your future. It will help you not stumble in unbelief. Father, the men and women that are my church family, people that I care about and that care for me, God, they were honest. They didn't have to. They raised their hand to identify. But they did more than to identify. They raised their hand to say, I need the help of God. I pray for the people that raised their hand that said, Pastor, I, I kind of wallow in this, this unbelief of self-pity. I, I kind of keep going back to the situations and times past and all of those things, and, and I dig them up, and, and, and I need the help of God to just stand before the Lord confident in Him, not in myself, but in Him. Father, we pray as a body. Come on, we pray, not me, you. We pray collectively one for the other right now. Every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice as we hasten towards the noon hour to get out of this building, I'm going to just pray right now, God, let a new day dawn in us, a day of contentment, a day of rest, a day of courage, God, where we trust in Christ, not only what he did, but what he said. 
Let me say that again. Not only what he did, but what he said. What he said. If he said your sins are put away, they're put away. So, Father, I pray, bring every person to divine revelation. Divine revelation, Father, of their of this state of contentment that we have in Christ. Contentment and peace. To be at peace with God. Be at peace. I'm at peace with God today. I don't have to wallow my head in unbelief. So I pray over us. As a church family, we prayed for you today. And God, lastly, as I let the church family out here in just a second, what we say. What we say. Think about it, church family. Have you been guilty before? Pastor Brown, you're shaming me. No. No, I'm giving you an opportunity to confess it. If it's active sin in your life, you confess it before God. That's what God said. If I sin, confess that sin. He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. Forgive me, Father, when I've spoken unbelief. Forgive me when I've spoken out of the flesh and I've not spoken what you said in the word. Forgive me where I've given the enemy or the adversary place. Forgive me when I've agitated situations by words that were carnal and that were cutting rather than that was ministering grace to the hearer. I'm praying it on behalf of me today, right now. Lee Brown, your pastor, help me, oh God, to not say and be that critical person. Help me to not be that person that's always casting this thing and saying this thing negatively, God. Let me minister grace to the hearers. Let me speak, especially over my family, especially in my tent. Come on, somebody. In my tent, let me speak life. Let me, let me be like Joshua and Caleb. Think about it with me right now. What was it like when Joshua and Caleb went back to their tent? They had a wife. They had children. All the other tents, everybody was scrambling in unbelief. But Joshua and Caleb were saying, we, we can do this. Honey, we can do this. Come on, let's get, we're, we're going to do this. God's going to bring us in. He brought us out that he might bring us in. He brought us out of slavery that we might bring us in to the possessors of his promise. Was that going to be your tent? I pray that's your tent. That there'll be a shifting within your heart and your life. And you'll think about this. What will you teach your children when they see you and hear you speaking the word? It will, it will mark them for generations to come. To your children and your children's children. So God, I thank God today. The word of faith. The journey of faith. Today we've learned from the tragedy of when the children of Israel stumbled in unbelief. It cut us. It cut our heart. It cut our consciousness. But let us learn from it. Who? Come on now. Let us learn from it. I bless the people. I bless the sons and daughters of this church fellowship. I bless the men and women, the visitors that came among us today. I'm grateful for their fellowship, thankful that they chose to spend time with us today. God, bless them as they leave this building today, God. Let these principles of faith be in their heart and in their mind, in their mind God. Let them be in their heart and in their mind, and then let it be exercised through their mouth. As I believed, therefore I speak. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said amen and amen and amen. Listen, God bless you for being here today. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you chose to worship the Lord with us. In worship, 
I want to encourage you to come out. We provide nursery for your nursery-age children, which is zero to two or three or somewhere in there. 